into the darkness you shine and out of the ashes we rise there's no one like you none like you cause our God is greater and our God is stronger God you are higher than any other our God is healer Awesome in power, our God. Yes, our God. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise, there's no one like you, none like you, cause our God is greater, and our God is stronger, oh God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, he's awesome in power, our God, yes our God.
Good morning. We'd like to welcome everyone to First Baptist. Uh, we have a custom here where we ask both members and visitors alike to uh, register your attendance with us. And the way you do that is you take the registration card that's located in your bulletin and you just tear that off. And in a few moments, the offering pla plate excuse me, will be passed by. And if you would, just uh, place that in there. Also, if you have any prayer requests, we all need prayer um, in one way or another. Uh, you can write those down, and the ushers, after they take, the, take up the offering plates, will take those prayer requests and take, take them to people who are actually praying during the service. So you can actually have somebody praying for you um, during the service while you worship. So I would ask everyone to stand up, and let's greet one another. Um, everybody, thank you. good.
sing that again. My heart will sing. we make that our prayer to you this morning that our hearts would sing no other name but your name god not only in song but in the way that we live god the way that we love others the priorities that we make the way we spend our time god that it would just display that we do love you and that we just this morning god we want to lift your name high and we want you to be praised um let these songs be a reflection of our lives let this worship be a reflection of the worship that happens throughout the week god in the name of jesus i pray amen Maybe. 
indeed I find that thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Yes, he washed it white as snow. Ask me, Sid. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning, God, just thanking you for how great you are and for what you mean to us. And Father, we thank you that through the good times and the bad times, you've always found a way to bless us. And God, this morning, in the way that you've blessed us financially, God, we bring a gift back to you. And we place that in this offering plate, and God, and we pray that you would just touch it, and that you would bless it, and that you would add to it, and that you would make something that's earthly, that you would make it holy, and that it would be able to minister to others that don't know you. And God, for all these things, we thank you, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all are welcome to join and sing with us on this song. I know it's uh, special music.
guys great job great thank you all right 
Well, this, um, we're preaching through the Bible, a sermon from each book of the Bible, and we're in the book of 1 Thessalonians this morning. And uh, the sermon is entitled, Be an Encourager. Be an Encourager. You know, there are folks that walk into your life and they, they pick you up and they lift you up and they, they pat you on the back and say, you're doing a good job or, or hang in there or, or things are going well and you need to keep it up. And then there are those kind of remind, you know, uh, is it Winnie the Pooh, the, little, the donkey named Eeyore? And, and nothing is ever right. Oh dear, it's, it's going to be terrible today. There are folks like that too in the world. And, and I want you to ask yourself, are you somebody that picks people up or are you somebody that pulls people down? When someone throws an idea into the mix, are you the one that says, yeah, we can make this work if we do this? Or, or are you the one that say, that'll never work. We don't even need to try it. You know, people can peg you pretty well. And uh, I I want you to take a look at yourself and talk about being an encourager. How many of you are school teachers? we got a bunch of school teachers, and I think for Tift County it starts Tuesday, doesn't it? And the following week it starts for Tift area on Thursday. We want to encourage school teachers here today as well because it is an important job. A huge responsibility to help shape and mold our young people, the next generation. Uh, Paul talks about encouragement. The Thessalonians, um, Paul had been there. There was some gossip about him, how, you know, maybe he came to Thessalonica just to, uh, you know, just to fleece us, just to get money from us. And or just to take advantage of us and and to hurt us. And so Paul has to write a letter back to Thessalonica and says this in uh, chapter 2, verse 7. Paul says, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were, what does that mean? We could have, you know, lived off of you. We could have taken uh, a salary from you. But we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. This is the uh, New International Version. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Your witnesses, verse 10, and so was God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as the Father deals with his own children. Here we are, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Verse 12, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Be an encourager. Paul says, be someone who encourages and comforts and urges folks to live lives worthy of God. Either we're encouraging, comforting, and urging folks to live lives worthy of God, or we're pulling them down, we're dragging them down. Which one of those are we going to be? Let's pray. Father, as we begin a new school year, as the seasons begin to change, as as folks return home from vacation and a new pace begins, there is a sense of anticipation and excitement in our midst. 
But at the same time, Lord, there's also some fear and apprehension about the unknown of the future. And, and we need folks to come into our lives just to lift us up and, and pray with us and for us and to encourage us and, and comfort us and urge us on, especially in our relationship with you. It's so easy to get comfortable and complacent and just to, to take a time out on a siding somewhere and let the world pass us by. And drift away from what was once precious in our lives, our relationship with you. So, Father, help us to encourage and to be encouraged today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I believe so firmly that the ministry of encouragement is essential in the life of a healthy church. The ministry of encouragement, 62 times in the New Testament alone, in the New Testament alone, the word encouragement is used as a duty, as a responsibility, as a requirement for all believers. We are all to be encouragers of each other. As a matter of fact, Jesus, in the 13th chapter of John's Gospel, said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, what? If you have love, if you love one another. So the thing that sets us apart from the world, the thing that distinguishes us as his disciples, is the fact that we love one another, and the nature of love is encouragement. If you love someone, you want the very best for them. You encourage them. You lift them up. You, you inspire them to be their best, to do their best. If you don't care about somebody, then yeah, you can pull them down, you can drag them down, whatever it takes. But Jesus says one of the distinguishing characteristics of his disciples is love. By this shall all the world know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. And the nature of love is encouragement. So listen to what Paul says in verses 11 and 12 of 1 Thessalonians 2. You know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Encouragement is the duty of every Christian. I'm going to break this down and look at those three words in verse 12, and that's why I use the New International Version today, encouraging, comforting, and urging. The first thing is encouraging. Be an encourager, and the word encourager there means strong, positive appeal. Strong, positive appeal. In other words, discouragement should never happen in the life of a church. Discouragement should never happen in the life of a church. My sister and brother-in-law were pretty well plugged into a church in another city, and things changed in the church, um, leadership roles changed, and one day I was visiting with him or talking to him on the phone. He said, you know what, we, f we feel better going to church than we feel coming home after church. He said, really, going to church pulls us down. And I said, well, then you either need to be somebody who changes that atmosphere in the church or you need to find another church. Because churches should be places of encouragement and positive appeal and, and inspiration and, and help. For each other. I mean, the world is tough enough out there dragging us down as it is. When you come into church, you don't need that, that kind of environment that the world offers. The church is a place of 
healing and help and wholeness and encouragement to boost you up, to lift you up so that when you go out into the world, you're ready to face the challenges that Satan will assail you with again. That's what distinguishes the church from the world. John Wesley Harden was uh, an outlaw in, in the frontier of our, of our nation, and he was called, saved, and called to be a preacher. And he required, as worshipers came into their church in the Wild West, that they check their guns at the door. You have to check your guns at the door when you went into the church in the Wild West. And, you know, I got to thinking about that. You know, there's some things we need to check, too, when we come into church. We need to be willing to check our personal agendas, our soapboxes, our frustrations, our hostilities, our anger, our politics. Check all those things that, that would cause disruption and disharmony and disunity. And let church be a place of encouragement and healing and a healthy environment to help folks. Paul says that lifting our brothers and sisters up is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. And if we can't do that when we come in here, then we're no different from the world. Then we're just a, maybe a civic organization or, you know, just another institution where people come and gripe and complain and whine and you go out feeling worse than when you came in. But church is supposed to be, Paul says, a place of encouraging and comforting and urging. During the Boer War of 1899 through 1902, the Boer War, a man was convicted of an unusual crime. After the war, he was convicted of being a military discourager. A military discourager. And it, it turns out, as they convicted him, what he was doing was going up and down the lines, you know, just complaining, we don't need to be here. We're never going to win this war. We shouldn't be here in the first place. Just just discouraging the troops. And they brought him to trial afterwards and convicted him and put him in jail for being a military discourager. Discourage. He, he should have, when, when encouragement was needed most, he was out there discouraging the troops. It can be a terrible weapon to use against others. But that is a gift that some people have. Like I said, the, the, the gift of Eeyore, I guess. I don't have a title for it, but uh, let me just give you an example. I've got a lot, of, a lot of examples from my vacation and from the Olympics, so just be ready. Um, this past Friday, we went to the Braves game. Not, this, not Friday a week ago. They were playing the Phillies in Atlanta. We surprised Catherine, and she was so excited, she texted a friend. And the friend said, well, the weather says it's going to rain. Catherine says, well, you know, that may be, we're going to go anyway. I want to see Chipper Jones one more time. He's retiring this year. She texted back and said, Chipper's a jerk. You know, I know about his personal life. You know, he's, he's, he's a bad person. She said, well, you know, he's, he's, I don't care about that right now. I just want to see. And he hit two doubles that night and had a great night. We enjoyed, he may, I don't know about his personal life. Uh, you know, I'm talking about baseball. And then her friend texted and said, you know, you're going to miss the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. All these things, she just kept trying to cast uh, a negative spin on, on Catherine's excitement of, of going to see a Braves game. It just kind of became a joke. And I said, what does Eeyore say now? You know, what, what else does she have? What else is going on? And it's just going on and on. And, and Catherine said, I'm not going to text her anymore. I said, that's a good idea because she'll, <laughs> she'll find something bad to say about whatever we're doing. You know, like any family, churches 
can and should disagree. Matter of fact, if everybody agrees with everything all the time, I'm going to be worried because I know you're going to go outside and talk about it. I'd rather you talk about it in here. I'd rather us disagree in here, but you should never dishonor or disrespect anyone because churches are a place of encouragement. So which are you? Are you when someone throws out an idea, are you the person who throws cold water on it? Or are you the one who tries to figure out ways that it might actually work? It might actually be a good idea. It might, might be worth trying. Paul says that we are to offer strong, encouraging, positive appeal. And that word from Paul comes from the Lord. Encouraging, comforting, urging. You know, think about somebody right now who has encouraged you in the past. You know, maybe you were down, maybe, maybe it was a note. A couple weeks ago, I don't know if a Sunday school class talked about encouraging the pastor, but I got several notes, anonymous notes, and, and th- these were positive. I get a lot of negative uh, anonymous notes, but these were positive, encouraging notes. From, from one, I guess it was from one Sunday school class, and nobody signed it, and it just really boosted me up when I needed it the most. And that's the way God is, isn't it? You know, he knows when you need something. And he puts somebody in your path, or he puts a note in your box, and that just says, you know, you're doing good, keep it up, you know, whatever. There's somebody in your life like that, isn't there? Give God thanks for them. And maybe you want to be like that for somebody else. There are people around you who are just burdened by the weights of the world, and a positive, encouraging, at a boy, at a girl, Pat on the back from you might be just the thing they need to keep them going. Encouraging. The second thing Paul says we need to be doing is comforting one another. And to comfort means designed to cheer up in order to inspire correct behavior. Inspiring correct behavior. And it talks uh, over here in verse 7, like a mother caring for her children. Inspiring correct behavior. It's the picture of a mother comforting her baby and it's gentle compassion, like a mother caring for her little children. And the comfort we are supposed to give inspires correct behavior. It's interesting to me, Paul uses the the picture of a mother in verse 7 and then right over here in verse 11 he uses a father. You know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. In seven, we were gentle among you as a mother caring for her children. We were gentle as a mother caring. We dealt with you as a father deals with his children. So a mother caring, a father dealing with his children, we, that's how you inspire correct behavior. That's how you comfort from nurturing of a mother to correcting as a father. And children need both, comforting, correcting. They need it. Dads, listen to me for a minute here. Children need and desperately want some kind of correction. We were, uh, this past week, we were around a, a father and a son, and the boy was just out of control. And, and uh, you know, Susan and I and Catherine even wanted to say something to him. The father was standing there, and we couldn't believe the father was saying and doing nothing when the boy was just, he was just bouncing off the walls. And, and whatever the son wanted to do, apparently it was fine. And, and we didn't want to correct him with the father there. We would have if he hadn't been there. But uh, children need boundaries. Children want to know 
what is, what's permissible, what's not. Tell me. Tell the child what, what those boundaries are, what is, what is acceptable and what isn't. The picture here is that of a father who loves and cares about his child so much that he takes the time and energy to provide boundaries. Correcting a child takes time and energy. And a lot of fathers just check out on doing that. But here Paul says, we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging. And the father's life is so authentic that the child wants to please him. When children see you and respect you and admire you fathers, they want to please you. And that's the kind of urging that fathers can do. And that's part of our, our picture um, here in the scripture this morning. Let me tell you a story real quickly. I thought of it watching the Olympics this week. Um, did y'all see trampoline two nights ago? Had a Chinese guy and um, I think a Russian guy. Good night. They were jumping so high and they were doing all kinds of spins and flips. and oh, It was great. It was just, I'd never seen anything like it. But it reminded me in high school uh, trampoline, something that happened in high school. Um, our high school, 8 through 12, was high school. We didn't have middle school. I was in 8th grade, and I was on the gymnastics team. It's kind of bulked up, kind of like I am now. And um, Warren Aiken wanted to try a new trick on the trampoline. He was a senior. He was a big guy. I was a little guy. That's why I was in gymnastics. And uh, he said he needed spotters. You put like a spotter on each side of the trampoline in case something happens. You know, you kind of have to stand there and catch them or, or keep them from falling off the trampoline. So I wasn't doing anything. I was kind of standing around. So I, st- I got on one end, and there were three other guys on the three other sides, and, and Warren was doing this jump, and something went wrong. I'm a little guy, and I look up, and he comes hurtling toward me. And, uh, you know, my first instinct was to duck, but, but instead I closed my eyes and put my hands out, and I caught him from going off the end of the trampoline. I caught him in his back. He was getting ready to, you know, to come on over. I don't know, he could have broken his back or his neck or something. And uh, I was as surprised as he was. And, uh, and he got off the trampoline, and he put his arm around me. He said, he said Skid, my name was Skid Row <laughs> in high school. And I'm not going to go into that right now. He said, he said, Skid, you saved my neck, man. You know, I, <laughs> I could have broken my back. And all that week in school, he was going around telling folks, you know, what a great, I was a little eighth grade kid, and here's a senior singing my praises. I felt like I was 10 feet tall walking around campus, and, and none of the upperclassmen would mess with me because he would, he would watch out for me. So that was, you know, just having somebody sing your praises that you look up to, older than you, you know, and, and just watching out for you, it just makes you feel 10 feet tall. And uh, that was pretty awesome. And that's the power of encouragement. That's the power of, of uh, in urging and lifting somebody up. There was uh, Tommy Moe. I don't know if you remember him. He was a downhill skier in the Olympics in 1994. A downhill skier in the Winter Olympics. He was in first place for a while, but, but what I remember most about him, I don't remember much, but one thing that really struck me was when Tommy Moe came through the finish line in the downhill Olympics, everybody, 40,000 people were watching, started singing happy birthday to him. It was his birthday. And 40,000 people began singing happy birthday to Tommy Moe, probably in a bunch of different languages. But can you imagine how he felt 
hearing all those people sing happy birthday. And if, if, if strangers can do that in the Olympics, can make somebody feel like that, how much more should that kind of thing go on at church? Where folks know you and love you and care about you. And when you need it, lift you up. That's why Sunday school is so important. That might not happen in a, in a public gathering like the sanctuary, but when you're in Sunday school and folks know you and know your struggles and know your strengths and put the two together, they can help you. And that's, that's what church is supposed to be about. The third thing is, is urging, encouraging, comforting, and urging. And this is the most important plea. Urging means earnest entreaty, a genuine, serious plea to improve, urging people to do their best, urging people to do their best. That's what Paul says that we do if we're going to live lives worthy of God. We're going to encourage and comfort and urge as he did for the Thessalonians. Once again, I was really struck by this. Thursday night before the uh, women's gymnastics team finals, they did a special from the 1994 Olympics with the Magnificent Seven, the last time the American girls won gold. Remember that? And uh, the last event was Kelly Strug, Carrie Strug, and uh, she had to vault. Do you remember? And, and Bella Caroli was her coach, and they did a special on this. Thursday night, I think, was right before the, the, the girls' team um, medal this year. And uh, they had that, and the other girls had vaulted, and they fell. And, and Carrie Strug vaulted. And on her first vault, you remember what happened? She sprained her ankle, and she wrapped her ankle, and it was wrapped. And the second time she vaulted, uh, she fell again. And, I mean, she was going around like this on one leg, just hopping because her ankle hurt so badly. And Bella Caroli goes over to her, and he takes her hand in his face. He takes her, her, her face in his hands, and he says, Carrie, you can do this. You can do this. And I, I think Carrie, listening to him like that, said, yeah, I can. And she forgot all the pain in her ankle, and she ran and she stuck the landing, and the American girls' gymnastics team won gold. And then she fell down, and, and he carried her off in his arms. Before in that one moment, he didn't say, I think you can do this. He didn't say, I, you know, I hope you can do this. He looked at her and said, you can do this. You can do this. And that one person believing in her made it possible for her to do Basically, the impossible, vaulting on a sprained ankle, badly sprained ankle. And uh, that's the power of urging someone. And once again, the importance of Sunday school. Folks who, who know you, you get saved and baptized, and then you get into a small group where people can come around you and encourage you and comfort you and urge you. I hope when you're having a bad week that there's somebody that comes into your life that writes you a note or that says a word of encouragement, puts their arm around you, pats you on the back, and says, keep it up. 
hang in there. It's got to be somebody that knows you well. It's got to be somebody like in Sunday school, somebody in your family, somebody in your home, somebody in your neighborhood, somebody with whom you cross paths frequently who knows you and can keep it up. Charlie Shedd tells a great story, and you've probably heard it before, about a, a man named Johnny Wingo. Johnny Lingo. Johnny Lingo was a merchant marine, and uh, he was ready to retire. And he had traveled all over the world, and he picked out uh, a quiet, peaceful little island in the South Pacific to live the rest of his life. He wasn't married, so he wanted to get married. And uh, so he had, he had the women in the island, you know, and he was kind of thinking about that and praying about that. And, and uh, the island had, a, had an unusual custom. On that island, cows were valuable. The number of cows you had represented your wealth. If you had one or two cows, you were, you know, middle income. If you had three or four cows on this island, you were very wealthy. Well, Johnny Lingo, um, he's going to get married, but can you imagine the buzz in the community when they find out that Johnny Lingo pays the father of his intended bride, Muhana, ten cows? He gives the father of Muhana ten cows. Well, the whole village was abuzz because Muhana was just an average island girl. You know, nothing special, nothing remarkable, nothing really beautiful about her. But Johnny Lingo pays ten cows for Muhana. And you can imagine what happened. With him paying that extravagant amount for his new wife, she began to act and look beautiful, like a ten-cow woman. Susan and I were married 33 years yesterday. And I'd just like to say, her price is far above rubies. Ah, you thought I was going to say she is. <laughs> I, I would say there, there are ten-cow women here. And ten cow men, and this is a ten cow church, but you'll go out misinterpreting that all over the place. But the whole point of the story is, if you believe in somebody, and you tell them how much they're worth to you, and how precious and valuable they are, they'll grow into it. They'll grow into it. And it will inspire them to change for the better. I hope. There are folks who believe in you like that. God must love us a whole lot because he gave his son Jesus to die for our sins. That's the encouragement and the inspiration we need today. Let's bow together. God, I can't imagine sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners because you saw in us something of worth, something of value, someone that you loved so dearly.
and making possible a relationship that we can have today. Father, there are folks here, here this morning and within the sound of my voice that don't think they're very important right now, that things aren't going very well for, and, and they don't think they matter much. But all they have to do is realize who they are in, in your sight and how much you love them. And, and Father, I just pray that you'll surround them with folks who will love them and encourage them. And we as a church can do that for those who need it right here and in our community and around the world. Everybody's looking for encouragement. So few are offering it. Help us distinguish ourselves from the world. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. And the nature of love is encouragement. Shall we... We pray that, that we will live up to the expectations and to the encouragement that you have placed upon us. And that you'll help us, instead of looking for encouragers, to be encouragers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation and commitment to give the opportunity to respond publicly. If Jesus has spoken to you and leading you to profess your faith, maybe he's done so privately and, and you've prayed in the, in the privacy of your own uh, bedroom or, or your home or your prayer closet, and now you need to make it public, we would welcome you. Rededicating your life, joining this church, whatever desire you'd like to share, you do so now while we stand and sing. I'll be at the front to receive you. Let's stand together.